grab your Bibles. There may be some on the floor in front. If you would like, we will put the words up on the screen also. We're in the book of John. We came out of the book of Daniel, and we've been about four weeks into the book of John, and we'll uh, go through all the way through the book. That's how we teach uh, the word around here as we try to go through a whole book at a time. So John 1, 14, we began this morning. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried, he cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, we talked about this last couple of weeks, how John had great interaction times with Christ. And he was one of these disciples that in his book, he's like, we were there. It changed us. It changed me. And Jesus, he says, is full of grace and truth. And we talked about this a little bit last week, uh, that mono, uh, monogenesa is what it says. Mono is one, and the genesa or genese is the one who revealed or the one who came. So John is saying he is the only God who came. You have all these Roman gods. You have all these gods that are talked about within the culture, but this is the only God who actually came to earth. This is the real, true God. And he comes to reveal God the Father. And God the Father is full of what? Grace and truth. Now, did you catch that? I didn't say that Jesus is full of grace and truth. I said the Father. Why do I say that? Well, I could have said Jesus, but the reason I said the Father is because Jesus came to reveal whom? The Father in heaven. God himself. Therefore, the, the Father is also full of grace and full of truth. So, the God that many of us grew up, grew up with, we might have been afraid of a little bit. The guy who was always mad at me because I sinned, right? We ever been there? We ever felt that? Where, where we felt like, man, I've sinned and, and oh, God's, oh, he's got to be mad at me. Come to find out, it's not just anger and judgment. How about grace and truth? How many of you, you know, uh, uh, he's going to bring that grace and truth today. How many of you could, could, could use some grace today in your life, right? Yeah. Now, how many of you kind of sitting there going, okay, I could use a little truth too, you know? It comes back, you know, it involves both. And if we allow it, it will fill us, and he will fill us with that same grace and truth. Now, some of us are so full of grace. When it comes to truth, we have a hard time with that. Because we don't want to hurt other people's feelings, right? You don't want to tell them because, oh, man, they may get mad at me or something like that. And the truth person could care less about somebody's feeling, right? They just come in and they just say it. They're like, well, da-da-da-da-da. And you're like, well, I appreciate that, you know. And they have no grace. Well, as we talked about last week, when we marry Jesus, because we are the bride of Christ, to marry is to know and receive him. His grace rubs off on the truth people. And some of us go, praise the Lord. They need a little grace in their life, you know? But then as truth rubs off on the grace people who are always running around going, love, 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 and yet they may not live their life toward Jesus. It's all about forgiveness, and it's, it's both. 
and all of who we are rubs off on Jesus. Now, somebody might say, wait a second, what do you mean we rub off on him? Well, do you have sin in your life? Our sin rubs off on Jesus because he died for our sins. We get all the great stuff, and he gets all the stuff that is not so great. He died for those sins, and that is what Jesus did for our lives. He takes all the junk, and he starts to replace it with great things, and it starts to balance us. And this is what the Lord wants us to do, or or wants for our lives. He wants us to be balanced. Because we have a lot of character traits that... uh, (laughs) That, you know, that we need to be, you know, need to have balanced out, right? I mean, running, uh, driving down the road. Okay, the men probably uh, get this. You know, you, you go up beside a car and there's a tire out of balance. And you can just look at it driving down the freeway until that tire is out of balance. It's just going all over the place. And the car's kind of bouncing as it goes, you know. And it just, it, it's, it, it wears and tears on the car. And... <clears throat> That's what happens in our lives. We're just doing wear and tear on ourselves or wear and tear on everybody else. It's affecting other people because we may not be balanced because of those character traits. And this is what Jesus does. Religion says truth, 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 truth. And relationship says grace, 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 and truth. That's the relationship with Jesus. We've got to get past the religion aspect. John comes and says the truth was the law of Moses, and the grace and truth came through Jesus. Now, for some reason, many people think that Jesus came, and and when he did, he negated the law. You take the Old Testament, you just throw it out the door. But we're going to see Jesus walk through the fields, and and this this is one one reason why we think he negated the law, and he's going to allow the disciples to eat grain as they're walking through, and they're they're just picking off grain off the heads, and and they're eating them as they're walking along. But the disciples didn't wash their hands. And the law says they should wash their hands, right? And Jesus said, you know, Jesus, what does he do on the Sabbath? He heals people. And the Jews come along and say, that's not supposed to happen on this day. You're not supposed to be working. So as you look at Jesus, it actually looks like he's breaking the law. And the legalist would say, if you break one law, (laughs) you're throwing all the law out. But Jesus makes it very clear to us. He did not come to break the law. He did not come to negate the law. He did not come to throw it away. He just came to infuse it into the middle of our lives. Now, as we get to know Jesus better and better, and we start reading the Old Testament, we start studying the Old Testament like we just did Daniel, we've done uh, many Old Testament books, we start to realize it wasn't just bad. The laws are actually good for us to follow. If we don't, you know, obey certain laws in our life, it hurts our relationships, right? I mean, you think back to the thou shalt laws, you know, the Ten Commandments. They encompass the other 614 or 22, depending on how you count, other laws. Those are kind of like the chapter headers, you know. But if we, if we go out there and, and we break relationship with our wife or husband and have a relationship outside, that hurts our relationships, right? So following those things actually help us. If we don't obey certain laws, we might get a disease. You know, I mean, there's certain things there. And we began to see the Old Testament law was a reflection of the balance that Jesus brings. 
So we see Jesus quoting the Old Testament all the time uh, so that they would, uh, they would see that he is not about breaking the law, but he combines the grace along with the truth of the Old Testament. He goes on and says in verse 15, John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. So you have John the Apostle, friend of Jesus, starts talking about John the Baptist, okay? A holiness preacher. I mean, this is the guy that was the truth preacher that needed a little grace in his life, okay? He's the guy you're sitting there, he's in your face, and you're like, whoa, dude, slow down a little bit here, okay? Um, I understand that, but he's the one that pointed out the sin that was in our life. And <clears throat> he, would, he would come up to you and go, you know that thing right you, you just did right there? That's sinful, and that is not holy. He's not big on relationships, right? Well, John the Baptist is an Old Testament type of prophet, okay? And what do we know about him? He was a PK, a, you know, a priest or a pastor's kid, as we like to say. Uh, his mom and dad were of the priestly line. He was taught the Torah from a young age, and the Old Testament was all about sacrifice, uh, and the Holy Spirit spoke to Zechariah and said uh, to his parents, uh, he said, you're going to have a son soon. And you may know the story. Uh, if, if you don't, look it up in the beginning of Matthew, in the beginning of Luke. But we have to be careful with these kids, the ones that, are, that come from like the pastor's kids and so forth, and um, that, that we don't hold them to a higher standard than other kids, okay? I'm not saying we don't hold them to a standard because we need to, Right? If we see a child doing something wrong, we need to point that out and correct that. But we need to be careful how we say it. I can't believe you did that. You're the pastor's kid. I can't believe you did that. You know, your father leads worship up on stage. You know, things like that. We have to be careful with that. And So instead of just saying, I can't believe you did that, that is wrong, we have to add on that little, that little hanger, if you want to call it that. Uh, you know, uh, we should be saying, because you're a Christian, we don't do that. But we add on that part. It'd be like telling a kid, your dad is a truck driver. I can't believe you wrecked your bike. Right? Your mom's a teacher. How could you miss that question on that test? Or, or, you know, uh, your dad's a computer tech. How come you let your computer crash like that? I mean, that, that'd be ridiculous. Yet we do that for uh, kids that are, you know, of those that are in the ministry. Uh, you know, I don't know why. So we try to protect our kids in that standpoint. But you know what? If you see my child doing something wrong, yeah, point it out to them. Just don't add on the preacher kid thing, okay? I give you that permission to point that out. Well, we don't know that this was ever said about John the Baptist. But we do know that he was a holiness preacher. He ended up out in the wilderness. We know he was one of the last of the Old Testament prophet style, and he went out there alone. And we know that, uh, and the more we know about him, the more we get the idea he didn't like people too much. He was kind of like an angry preacher, you know, but he was kind of right on. Do you remember? I don't know if you, uh, I might be dating myself a little bit. I'm a little older than I look. Uh, do you remember Keith Green in the 70s? Anybody? Okay, one hand. Good. I mean, he was, he was phenomenal, okay? But he was like in your face about sin, right? Yeah. 
I mean, he was phenomenal, but, uh, but uh, yeah, anyway, but he, John was like that. He was phenomenal, but he was in your face, so he headed out to the desert, and here's kind of the area that he would be out in, and he probably studied with a group called the Essenes, a large group of people, and they isolated themselves, and they would baptize themselves every day. You go to Qumran, it's an area, and you'll see a lot of the ruins of the area from them, and the reason they were doing this is because they wanted to be pure. They wanted to be holy, whereas the Pharisees might wash their hands to the elbow. I mean, these guys, they would just wash them whole, you know, everything every day, and I know that's kind of weird for us because we all take showers every day, hopefully, right? Because if not, we smell, right? And if we smell, people kind of stay away from us, right? Okay, I mean, hopefully you're all agreeing to that. But these guys back then, it wasn't necessarily like that. But they would constantly wash their bodies, and they would have tons of these baths where they had so many steps down into what they call the mikvahs and all that. But, I mean, this is all a good idea. But as you study the Word of God, you start to understand only Jesus can purify us of our sins. It's not about washing the outside of the body. So we don't know for sure if he was one of these or if he was out there by himself, but he was into holiness. He preached it. He lived it. And this is why if you hold uh, to the standard, if you're out there preaching like that, no grace whatsoever, you better hold yourself up to that same standard, right? Because as soon as you fall, man, people jump on that. But people were drawn to him because his truth was so powerful. They would come from miles around to listen to him. And, and the summer heat could be like the summer heat here, you know, in, in that area. It'd be like 110 degrees. And people would come down from Jerusalem uh, to listen to him because he would be out by the Dead Sea and out there by the Jordan River and, and so forth. And, and so, uh, so some of the religious guys from Jerusalem would come down to investigate about what was going on because they'd heard stories, heard people talking about them. They're not there checking them out for, for uh, political, you know, only political reasons. They're also out there looking for the Messiah. They had done the math. They had studied the word. And, and, it, it, and it said to them, this time period is when we should be looking for the Messiah. They knew the Messiah was coming. So they're sitting there going, okay, is this guy the, the Messiah or not? You have this guy living out in the wilderness, and people are flocking to him. He's baptizing them. Maybe he is the Messiah. So they came out, and they had to suffer through his teaching. And, and when he sees them, he totally rebukes them. He totally just goes right after them. And this was unheard of at the time because the Pharisees were guys who knew the word. They were the religious ones. They were it. You didn't really argue with them. So they were irritated by him. And he's saying, come out here and let me baptize you. Now remember who he is. He is the second cousin to the high priest. His family is connected. So the reaction would be from them is, who do you think you are talking to me like that? Are you talking to me? Now John had such an impact on the Jewish culture to a point where a guy named Josephus, a historian of the time, wrote about John the Baptist more than he wrote about Jesus Christ. That's how much impact John the Baptist had at that time, which was interesting because of John the Baptist's message. He who comes after me surpassed me because he was before me. In other words, Jesus was at the time of creation. 
And he surpasses me, even though he's coming after me. So Josephus totally missed the point, but we can see the effect on the culture of both John and Jesus. Now, John would not even go to Jerusalem. He stayed away from Jerusalem. His view was it was corrupted, and he wanted no part of it. As cities go, Jerusalem was, was actually not that corrupt can you, when you compare it to Rome and Corinth and Ephesus and all the things going on. I mean, think of Tulare. Is Tulare that corrupt? Some people would go, ah, a little bit. But compare it to Las Vegas, right? Compare it to San Francisco. Compare it to New York. And we all go, okay, no, Tulare is perfect, right? Okay, maybe not perfect, but you know what I'm saying, you know? Uh, but, but uh, you know, all these other cities were bad, but Jerusalem had their problems not like those, uh, but not like those. Uh, sorry, my watch, let me put it on mute. The pastor doesn't even put his stuff on mute. There we go. So John the Baptist, he thought Jerusalem was evil. And he goes on in verse 19 and says, Now this is John's testimony with the, when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. Now, John knew the Bible, and he knew that they would think he was the Christ. Ironically, not all the religious people were actually out there looking for Christ, uh, uh, you know, but, but they did not understand why they needed a Messiah. Other than he will come. Hopefully, he'll throw off these Roman oppressors and restore, uh, you know, the, the Lion of David to the throne, and then he'll just leave. But that's not the case. They totally missed the reason why Jesus was coming. So when the crowds were flocking to John, they were saying, maybe this guy can rally the people. He has guts. Maybe he can confront Pontius Pilate or Herod. Ironically, later on, he does. Uh, and they were right about the confronting part, just not about the Messiah part. Verse 21, they said, or, or they asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. And according to Malachi chapter 4, they were looking for Elijah to come before the Messiah came. And actually, I don't, uh, you know, I don't understand his answer. I feel like he was the one that was coming. And, and I guess I'll have to wait till heaven to figure out all the little details that, that God just is not revealing to us. But I get the feeling he just didn't want to talk to them. I get the feeling he's just like, just leave me alone, you corrupt guys. They're like, well, are you the prophet? And this comes from Deuteronomy 18. Now, this is what, you know, this is what they were doing, is they're taking different scriptures and trying to figure things out. One, there would be a prophet. Two, there would be Elijah. And three, there would be a Messiah. And they thought it would be three people, but in reality, I think it was just two. You see, Jesus comes and has a ministry of prophet, priest, and king. But there was someone who had to come before him. And we, you know, we have this hindsight about what is happening. But Jesus, uh, you know, because of, of the words written later on, we get that. Uh, but at this point, they didn't have that hindsight. John finally answered no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? They're saying, stop talking about God. Tell us about who you are. So he quotes Isaiah 40 word for word. 
In Isaiah 40, John would have found his life mission. He knew what his goal was. In Isaiah 52 and 53 and 54, John would have found Christ in those, in those scriptures. Now, what's exciting is we actually have copies of Isaiah found in Qumran, the area of the pictures that I showed you, found in those caves. Uh, the whole book of Isaiah was found there, written by the Essenes. And this is pure uh, speculation, but wouldn't it be cool uh, that, that a copy that John maybe had read and studied was actually one that we actually found? I mean, uh, who knows if it was, but it'd be cool to think about. But we know this would have been around the time that it would have been written and copied. And John quotes Isaiah, and he says, A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The, ground, uh, the rough ground shall be made become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all the people see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I wish I could go on and on and teach more about Isaiah, but you guys would throw me out, you know. Um, but, you know, when we get to that book someday... I mean, the amazing passages in here. But he is saying, I am the voice that is crying out. Not the only one, but one of them. And he is saying, I am preparing a highway for God. Back then, when a king would travel, they would send out all the, you know, the Caltran guys to prepare the roads. Okay, they would go, they, they would literally send out guys, make sure the road was smoother. They would patch potholes, you know, because their roads were a little different than ours. They would put the rocks in and the mud in and try to level it off and try to make it smooth. And John is saying, I am the guy going before the king. I'm preparing the way. I'm trying to make it smooth for the Lord because the glory of the Lord is going to be revealed. Later on, when we, get to, uh, when we get to Jesus, we'll come back to Isaiah as we get to uh, later in this book of John, but especially Isaiah 53, and you'll be amazed at how it describes Jesus. And you start to wonder two things. How did, uh, does Isaiah get it all correct eight centuries earlier before Christ was born? How did he get all the details correct? And how did the religious establishment miss the Messiah? Those are two questions that we'll, we'll try to answer when we get there. But it goes on in verse 24 and says, Now the Pharisees who have been sent question him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Here's what's going on here. John is baptizing Jews. But he's not just baptizing Jews. He's baptizing anyone and everyone. And the Pharisees could care less about the Romans and the Greeks being baptized, but the Jews, that was a whole nother story. John is doing what the Holy Spirit does. He is leveling the playing field. And religion always tries to build these steps to everything that, you know, uh, <coughs> we try to mess things up. You got to do this, this, and this to be saved. You have to do this and this to be saved. And then you have to do this and this. And it's like, no, you just have to believe in the name of Jesus. That he died for your sins. That's what it takes to be saved. And then to follow him. John is saying everybody needs God. Everyone is sinful. Everyone needs the baptism of repentance. John didn't care if the Jew got into the water. If the Roman was there also. 
Even though his, his religion said that that was not acceptable, the Jews said that was not acceptable because the Romans would desecrate the water because they had all these rules. John was like, hey, everybody get in. Uh, you know, the Jewish official came out and, and they saw this and, and they're appalled by it. He's baptizing Jews with Gentiles. That's not acceptable. Now, what you have is even weirder than this. Most Jews had never been baptized. That was reserved for a Gentile who wanted to be a Jew. So, I mean, they're saying, what right do you have? Under whose authority? Where, where's your seal of approval? I don't remember you coming to the committee meeting and talking to your second cousin about getting approval. You know, who approved you to do this? It's not in the minutes of our meeting. No one gave you permission. So who said you could baptize Jews? And this was offensive to them. But John, he doesn't even explain it to them. He says, I'm sorry, guys. I, you know, he didn't say, oh, I should have um, I, I gotten your approval first. Uh, you know, I'm sorry I offended you. No, 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 he didn't do anything like that. In verse 26, he says, I baptized with water, John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. Now, we don't know if Jesus was actually standing there that day or not. He could have been, but it doesn't say. This could have been figuratively, but Jesus might have been standing right there. About a month to six weeks before this, John had actually baptized Jesus. John was baptizing one day, and the Holy Spirit revealed to him about the Messiah, and along comes Jesus, listening to John preach, and you could imagine Jesus just smiling as John just goes off on the people, just scaring them into the water, you know what I mean? Turn or burn, hell, you know, hellfire and brimstone. I grew up Southern Baptist, man, I tell you, I, could, I can preach like that if you want me to. I just don't like to preach like that, you know? Not a lot of grace there, but a lot of truth. And John invites people to be baptized, and Jesus wades out into the water. And what does John say? <laughs> he melts from his own conviction and refuses to baptize Jesus. Just like when Peter tries to refuse Christ, you know, washing his feet. So John says, no, that's, no, 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 no that's not going to happen. Because John only baptized people who needed to repent. John only baptized people who were less holy than he was. John looks at Jesus and says, you're, you're the holy one. I can't baptize you. According to my rules, you know, which is the holiest guy does the baptizing. John, but Jesus comes and tells John the Baptist, in order to fulfill the will of the Father, you need to baptize me. So John, not wanting to go against God, he's caught between a rock and a, you know, and a hard place, you know, he's just kind of, he, he's caught, was shaken in his sandals in a sense, and he baptizes Jesus. And then he goes back to what he's comfortable at, yelling at people. <laughs> and when Jesus is baptized, a voice is heard, this is my beloved son. And something like a dove, don't know what, wasn't necessarily a dove, but something comes down and it landed on Jesus. But when this happened, it was recognized as a sign of the Trinity. All at once, God in all three forms was there. But it was also a sign to John. Because in the wilderness, God had told him, The one you see, my spirit rests upon like a dove. 
That is the Messiah. That's the anointed one. And John had been living with truth, the truth of that, for about a month to six weeks when this encounter came. Verse 26, it says, I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. I'm not worthy to even be the lowliest of servants in the house and do such a, such a menial task in the first century to wash his feet. I'm not worthy to wash his feet, yet God had me baptize him. And the apostle John throws in this little bitty detail. And he does this a lot from, you know, uh, time to time, little, little things. He says in verse 28, this all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. Because he wants you to know, this is not a myth. If you go to Bethany, you're able to see the sight. Now look at the ministry of John the Baptist, and you will see a guy who was not perfectly balanced. And yet God still used him. Are we in that boat? How many of you, well, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you feel like you're perfectly balanced? Yeah, you know, think about that one for a second. Yet God can still use you in ministry. God can still use you to change your neighbor's lives, your friend's lives, the stranger's life. And we look at our own lives, and we see some of us do the churchy things and say, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready to serve yet. And I'm not a type of pastor. If you're around here, I don't go around beating people over the head. You need to be in you need to charge of this ministry. You need to be doing that. But one thing I do know, there are people out here who should be serving in certain areas. And whenever, you know, whenever the Lord prompts you to do it, you need to follow through on that. You see, John loved the wilderness. That was his comfort zone. But he didn't stay in his comfort zone. He didn't say, this is what I do and only do this. He let God push him in new directions because he followed God. And when he did, he did great things. And he got to baptize Jesus himself. If we allow ourselves to be challenged, if we allow ourselves in ministry to be pushed, if we don't hide in the desert, you'll be amazed at what God can do with you. And he gives you the strength to do whatever he has for you to do. And studying, you know, through Exodus and Joshua, as we have in the past, we learned a lot about being in the wilderness. And many of us love that wilderness because all you have to do is survive. That's it, nothing else. And you're good at just surviving. And the Lord uses the wilderness to heal us and prepare us for the future. Then listen to this, guys. He says, after he prepares you, he wants you to do what he has prepared you for. When is that something going to take place? Sometimes he goes, hey, wake up, time to wake up, time to get moving here. And the Holy Spirit says, you've been waiting and waiting for all the pieces to be perfect. And God says, it's never going to be perfect. That's why I need you. He's calling us out of the wilderness and into talking with Christ in our lives. And what has he done for us? God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. But he also says, you can't catch a fish if you're not in the boat. You can't catch a fish if you don't bait the hook. 
I go to Canada all the time uh, uh, with my, uh, my son's been going the last couple of years. My family's been going since 1982, catching wonderful fish up in Canada, huge fish. It's, it's a blast. But I tell my son, we get in the boat. I, we, we've taken some young ones with us, some 10, 11-year-olds. Uh, the next generation is starting to go. And, and one of the guys, he never gets his hook in the water. And I told my son, I said, the first thing you do when we stop is you, you put bait on the hook and you get in the water because you can't catch anything unless it's in the water. And the other kids out there just playing with the thing, trying to get on. I'm just like, it just blows my mind because we're here to fish. You know what I'm saying? Oh, maybe I'm a little intense about it. I don't know. But you can't catch the fish if you don't cast the line. You can't catch the fish if you never go fishing. It's the same thing in ministry. We can't do ministry things if we never step up to do ministry things. You cannot change the world for Jesus if you're not willing and ready to follow him in those steps. So we have to say, Lord, if you want to use me in my imperfect state, Lord, if you really want to use me, that I'm willing. Show me today. Show me today. Well, let me pray a blessing on everyone. And Tyler will finish this up with one last song, and then we'll go and eat together and have some good food. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for someone like John the Baptist, who we know that was not perfect, who pointed out the truth, who need a little bit more grace in his life. And I pray, Lord, that you provide us the perfect balance in our life, that we can bring the truth of who you are into this world, the truth of how we should be living into this world, but combine that with your grace and your mercy in our lives. And that we, when we get hit, what sloshes out of us is you. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to to uh, present something to Dwight and uh, for family and friends to be here. We pray that you bless our time and our meal afterward. And Lord, I pray that you bless everyone who steps up and says, Lord, use me right where I'm at. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may he bless you today. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.